0: Hello and welcome to While You Were Steeping, a curatorial tea and culture podcast. I nailed it that time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Michael Mandelios. I'm Hayden Rogers. We're up to part three of our tea trade tales. And this last installment is uh, on the opium wars, the the great opium wars between uh, England and, well, eventually England and France and China. So where are we going to start with this one?
1: Luckily for us, there are two opium wars. Um, not luckily for China. Um, um, so yeah, let's I guess start with the first one because yes. re- we really we need to set up that's right this thing. But I guess yeah. So we've talked about the East India Trading Company, uh, how they were sort of you know a bit desperate for tea, uh, and this is sort of the peak form of their desperation is the Opium Wars.
0: Yeah, so basically, at this point, uh, we're we're in the early 1800s, so the 19th century. Um, when I say early, I mean uh, around the 30s, leading into the 40s. And basically, Britain's still buying a lot of tea. They're 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 loving their trade on tea, silk, porcelain, pretty much all Chinese goods, and it's extremely lucrative for for Britain. But China had kind of at this point decided that they didn't really want to buy as many British products in return. They were only going to exchange their goods for silver. Mm. Now, the problem here is that England didn't really have a lot of silver. They had a lot of gold. They had spent centuries acquiring a lot of gold and, and investing in gold. Um, but they didn't have a huge amount of silver. And so they were losing all of their silver to China in exchange for tea, which, again, m- more commonplace now, but still a luxury item. Definitely not, you know... Three dollars for a box at the supermarket. So then we get into a really tricky <laughs> situation where the East India Company, with um, quiet approval from the British government, starts smuggling Indian farmed opium into China and selling it and selling it for silver, which they then used to buy tea. Um, <laughs> so in a, in a pretty roundabout way, basically selling opium for tea but kind of also buying back their silver at the same time. And there was quite a while where even though it was of course illegal because it was opium, um China mm, sort of turned a bit of a blind eye for a little bit. Um but by by the late 1830s, 1839, opium sales were basically funding the entirety of England's tea trade. Hmm. So and at this point, China really wants this to stop because even though opium was useful, um, especially as a medicine, you know, for easing pain and helping with sleep and stress and stuff like that, there were at this point millions of addicts all around the place. Um, and basically the, the opium imports were also kind of just ruining the trade culture uh, or, the, or the market, the, the balance of the trading within China um, to begin with. So so China started making pretty strong efforts um, to stop the trade of opium into China, and England basically said, nah, um, <laughs> until one day China, <laughs> China basically forces one of the superintendents of trade to hand over all of the stocks of opium that they had in Canton and destroy them, and England was not happy about this, uh, and so that sparked the conflict. And the other thing is that England at this point were also really quite frustrated that um, they only had one port, really, that, that they had access to. Canton was really the only Western merchant seaport that was open for trade. All of the others were not. And so um, England starts to wage war, and th- this is this is where we get the Opium Wars. And in this first war... There were basically multiple uh, attacks on behalf of the British on forts, rivers, uh, strongholds, etc. Um, and England just kept making demands as as they got more and more successful with their captures of land. And so once they kind of occupied territory, they would then withdraw. But in order to withdraw, China would have to pay them reparations of you know hundreds of not hundreds but thousands of British pounds which in the 1800s is a still a lot of money. Yep. And then eventually, uh, well, the long story of it is, after multiple, multiple, multiple battles, China cedes Hong Kong mm. to the British government, which, of course, Hong Kong being a port city. Um, so what that does, for one thing, is it's it's very embarrassing for China. Uh, it's very gratifying for Britain. They are now able to continue their opium trade, um, much to China's dismay, and now they have ownership of a major port city, which means that they can now continue trading with much more access and much more free trade. Um, so it's very, very profitable for England. What's probably worth noting, though, is that it was this as an initiative was actually met with a lot of resistance in England. Oh. Yeah, there was a lot of public discussion about it because, well, for one thing, at this point, we're still in the 1800s, which means everybody's still fairly Puritan. So the idea of trading illegal drugs, let alone acknowledging that they exist, um, a lot of British aristocrats were not wild about, um, and they thought it was very unseemly. And Brit- Britain tried to kind of keep it quiet, but sure enough, in the public domain, it very quickly became apparent that this war was using opium opium was the kind of the medium being used to gain these trade benefits and to to regain the monopoly on tea and so that's why it started being referred to as the opium wars was so that uh, effectively it could be openly discussed this that britain was doing this pretty nefarious thing um so there were a lot of there were a lot of brits who were kind of fundamentally opposed to it because their other objection was that China had been a really great trade partner up until this point and it seemed like a pretty ill faith move to um to screw them over this royally really
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah and this is sort of like the disintegration of relations with China in a way it, it, it's really just this and, and also the second opium war in particular is mm. where it's just it's just britain coming in and being like you know what uh we're just going to force you to do whatever we want uh yeah we are God, no. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah. And it's worth it. And it's worth at this point noting that, you know, the British colonial empire has become massive at this point. Mm. Obviously they had well and truly arrived in America. Um, they had well and truly uh, started considering <laughs> the possibility of looking into Australia. Um, they had yet to arrive in Australia, but, you know, that's a, that's another story. Um, but yeah, they've, they've become a pretty global power. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, we come to the second opium. When does the first opium war end?
0: So it ended in uh, 1842 uh, with the Treaty of Nanking, and that was uh, basically when the British basically said, well, the treaty is going to say that we're going to be able to do whatever we can or whatever we want to, and you're going to give us Hong Kong mm. um, and a whole bunch of other ports as well, but um, you're going to give us Hong Kong and you're going to pay us reparations. It's worth noting, actually, um, This is a conversation Hayden and I had off air before we recorded this episode, that this is really the first time that China, in its very, very, very long history, had to cede land to a colonial power. Mm. China was, at this point, still one of the only remaining major empires that hadn't seen a major territorial shift over the span of its thousands and thousands of years of history. Um. So it would have been incredibly upsetting and embarrassing and damaging to their cultural sensibility to have to cede this land um, to another colonial superpower at the time, uh, given that, yeah, really, they were one of the few remaining places where there hadn't been a war over land that China had lost.
1: Yeah, even, like, within the... Within China itself and the surrounding countries, there was, uh, you know, obviously, it, at this time there's always like a bit of reshaping and that sort Conflict. of thing. but like, mm. the, it, particularly a, a colonial force hadn't taken yes. over, taken over the country like they have in Australia, in America. That's
0: right. Whereas at the, at this point, we've already seen the collapse of all of the other major empires: the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Egyptian Empire. They're they're all gone, mm. and China really was kind of the last. Major, major ancient force still standing and moving into the modern era, yeah but and they and they still are in in their own way, but this was the first time that a foreign power really kind of encroached on them and actually succeeded,
1: yeah, but not the last, because uh, Russia very soon is taking land from them as well oh that's true, which happens in the second opium War. Uh, which is now 1856 to 1860. So we are right around the time that, you know, this whole tea crisis and also that um, the East India Company is like, you know, stealing tea secrets and creating their own tea. Um, But, you know, that's not a safe bet yet. So they pretty much are looking for an, an excuse to start a second opium war with China because China isn't really doing what Britain wants at this point. They are, you know, being a bit slow with this uh with the uh, sort of agreements of the treaty and Britain just wants to force them to do their bidding, you know. Basically just allow free trade with Britain, give us exactly what we want, <laughs> you know, the usual. So it's worth noting that at this time China is dealing with the Taiping rebellion which is essentially a huge civil war where the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom is trying to overthrow the Qing dynasty. So the Qing dynasty being the people who are, uh, you know, liaising with Britain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it's war on, it's international war and civil war at the same time. So not a great time for China. Uh, also, just so happens the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom hate opium <laughs> and they are trying to destroy opium wherever they find it, uh, which is parsing Britain's bars because that is how they are paying for tea mm-hmm. still, as we know. Um, and really, the only, as you said, like at this point, this is literally the only way that they are paying for their tea addiction by getting people addicted to drugs. Uh, so <laughs> basically the inciting incident of the Open Wars is the governor of Canton, he captures a boat, he suspects of piracy, but the boat is registered in Hong Kong, which is now British-owned land. So, they're technically capturing a British ship, and the British are like, oh, they've uh, declared war. <laughs> so, they sail up to Canton, up the Pearl River, and attack Canton. So, then after this, Britain sort of forms their alliance with France. So this is where France gets involved because basically, France is like, I want a piece of this war as well. You know, I, I basically want trade, free trade with uh, China. So, they join forces and they capture Canton and then they sail up the coast of China destroying things just causing havoc until the Emperor of China is like okay let's talk let's sign a treaty so they signed the Tianjin treaty which gives Britain France Russia and the US which did Russia and the US were like pretty non-committal to helping but they did help slightly so they got in anyway um it gave them the right for free trade throughout China and also free Rome for their citizens throughout China, which is kind of, that's terrible, really, like kind of crazy. Um, There's actually then more conflict because obviously China isn't super happy about this, uh, which ends with Britain burning down the Summer Palace uh, in Beijing and forcing China to sign the, the Treaty of Beijing, which then... Um, gives more land to Russia. So in the previous treaty, they had to give land to Russia. This gives them more land to Russia. Actually, maybe the initial land grab wasn't part of that first treaty. But at any rate, Russia gets more land and Britain gets more land around Hong Kong. I think, and also I I read somewhere that they call these treaties later on the Unequal Treaties or something. It was something similar to that. Did you read anything about this, Michael?
0: I can't remember the the names of the treaties, but I know that, like, in Chinese history, this is still taught as being the beginning of, like, a century of shame, basically.
1: Yeah, it's kind of terrible and, well, definitely terrible. And, yeah, it's just, it is wild to me now, thinking about, like, back, all the way back to our Boston Tea Party episode and then uh, to this one, just, like, how much tea has been at the centre of these things. Like, you know, America created by the American Revolution which was started by tea trade, you know, r- yeah. war over tea trade.
0: Yeah. Hong
1: Kong, like, f- formed as a British state by tea trade. Yeah, like it's
0: nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And also really interesting seeing the, the common behaviours of Britain across all of this time. I mean, you know, be, being, being Australian, Hayden and I obviously are fairly well acquainted with. A pretty gross colonialist um, agenda of England spanning back a very yeah. long time, but it's really interesting going into the depths of all of these events and seeing it in effect every single time. Mm. And even the fact that the methods are similar as well. The fact that again, like they, the way that they found their way in was by recklessly introducing a drug and allowing people to get addicted to it, and then. Having no regard for those ra- the ramifications of that,
1: yeah, yeah, basically, you know, England has some
0: things to answer for. <laughs> um, we we have questions for England. We have the receipts. Um, yeah. I think tea tea drinkers around the world are probably somewhat grateful, but mm, the rest the rest of the world maybe not so much.
1: And yeah, it's it's just a bit of a like a a humbling, humbling. A thing to be researching. I'm really glad we are doing it, actually, because mm. it's just something you know that you kind of take for granted. You're just like, yeah, tea. But learning about this and it's sort of intense and huge, long spanning history is is very like just eye opening. Yeah. Feel a bit mind blown
0: at the moment. It's really interesting looking at this stuff and seeing which sources of information feel like they might be slightly biased and which ones don't. Mm-hmm. um or which ones feel like they might be biased the other way so one um one source of contention that frequently gets brought up in um articles about the opium wars is the assertion from the british that partly the communication breakdown that led to the war was caused by by china's reaction to british ambassadors refusing to kneel or in in chinese the phrase that we we've borrowed from is kowtow um so to prostrate yourself before the the emperor is that's that's where we get the phrase kowtow from um and british ambassadors refused to do it because they felt that it was undignified and there's mixed reports uh as to what the chinese response to that was so britain claims that the chinese didn't respond well at all and that that's why there was a communication breakdown and that's what led to the war meanwhile there are other historians who say no the chinese emperor really didn't mind they actually weren't all that fussed about it um but it was the it was a very convenient justification for england to use to go to war Mm. rather than to be upfront about well we want more tea and we're going to sell some opium to get it Um, it was a very convenient excuse to say, oh, well, the Chinese were too rigid in their expectations and their culture, and they wouldn't compromise and they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow for us to be very British in our British Britishness. Um, (laughs) and so that, that was kind of the spin that was put on it for a little while, but it's very interesting seeing which sources uphold kind of that perspective and which ones don't. Mm. Indeed. Mm. Well, shall we, now that we've covered the better part of 1800 years worth of tea trade, <laughs> shall we get into some drinking?
1: Yes, let's appreciate it.
0: Lovely. Okay, so. Tea. What shall we start with? Tea, indeed. So not the lapsang
1: souchong spoilers but that should be the last thing we try yes
0: we we have a lapsang souchong today and and it is not going to be the first thing we try because we both have a, a a foreboding feeling that it's going to overpower anything else and we'll we'll tell you all about that in a minute
1: how about we start with the oolong because it's also from our new tea sponsor Yes, absolutely.
0: So, this has been sent to us by tease.com.au, also other, otherwise just known as Tees AU, and they're based in Sydney, um, in, on Clarence Street in Sydney, so right in the heart of Sydney, I believe. You'd think, you think I should know that, but I, I don't know where Clarence Street <laughs> is. <laughs> um, a little bit about... Teas AU, they were founded in 2003 and they decided that, well, they felt that there was a void uh, for quality loose leaf tea in Australia. So in 2003, they jumped onto the market to provide diverse premium collections of teas from cultivators renowned for quality and hand processing. And something that they're really passionate is about um, providing tea from the true origin areas of that tea type. So for example, this Gabba Oolong, is actually from Taiwan. It's actually been sourced from Taiwan itself. Uh, so that's just a little bit about teas.com.au. So let's get straight into their their Gabba Oolong.
1: Okay, so this is just a straight Oolong tea. Um, it came sort of rolled up into beautiful little balls and then opened down to quite like large leaf tea in the water. So they're almost like... They are still torn leaves, but they are almost like full leaves. So it's going to be delicious, I assume. Yeah. Otherwise, it's it's pretty straightforward. You know, it's a two to three minutes steep in boiling water.
0: Um. Yeah. Which is a nice a nice short brew, I have to say. Hmm. All right. So I guess we should give it a go. It smells. Delicious, like, mm. like kind of toasty, like. I was just going to say almost like <laughs> my, my brain went to scotch fingers, like butterscotch, butterscotch oh, yeah. biscuits. Yeah. Because it's, as you said, toasty. It smells toasty. Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Um, Yum. I love
1: oolong. Oh, I love this. Who would mm. have thought? This is it's- delicious.
0: Mm. This is better than black tea. I'm. I feel like I'm instantly converted, you know what it is. It's everything that you like about jasmine tea, but with a kind of nutty and buttery added flavor to it yeah, and
1: this is this is a you know without sugar, without milk, you know we both of us a bit of like bit of a black like white black tea drinker, but I'm like I'm happy like oh this yeah yeah is yeah fine. i
0: would you you definitely wouldn't
1: do anything to this this is. Mm. But also, can you imagine, like, I know milky oolong is a big thing. So, like, I can imagine it being exceptionally good with milk.
0: Uh, I think, oh, God, toasty was so the right word for this. This is, yeah, it's, I'm getting real Scotch finger vibes. That's all I can. It's like drinking a a gorgeously smooth and and not at all crumbly Scotch finger in a drink.
1: (laughs) How delicious. There -hmm. you go. If you want Scotch finger tea... It's gaba oolong. <laughs> gaba oolong. Yeah. For those who aren't in Australia and don't know what scotch fingers are, uh, it's
0: just shortbread. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Butterscotch. Yeah. Shortbread. Yeah. Shortbread biscuits. Um, and the only ingredient in this tea is the oolong, just, uh, just the tea plant itself. Mm. And yeah, is it gaba or gaba? Because there's only one bee. So I can't figure it out. I know. Gabba, I'm Gabba? just, my Brisbane, my Brisbane roots are like Gabba. <laughs> There's a suburb in Brisbane called Woolen Gabba. And of course we have a big cricket stadium there. And so everybody calls it the Gabba. And so, <laughs> yeah, Gabba. Ga- that's, we've made the executive decision that it's Gabba Oolong. <laughs> Honestly, I thought maybe
1: this company was in Brisbane. And it was like, uh, <laughs> anyway. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I do wonder, I actually don't know the answer to this question. But do oolongs usually come rolled in little cute balls? Because, you know, I I know that the bigger the leaf, kind of the more delicious the tea, really, when it comes to it. It, it, Well, it stops it from becoming bitter and getting any Mm -hmm. sort of those errant flavours. So, like... I wonder if, like, this particular style of
0: the large leaf rolled into a ball is also... Well, I have to say, the large leaf rolled into a ball as a style is definitely winning our hearts so far. You know, the dragon pearls from Elmstock is still one of my strongest contenders since episode one. Mm. True. All right, well, I guess we should move on to... Perhaps the uh, golden, what was it? I was just thinking the, So the golden blossom. Hmm. So this is from Tea and we reviewed a couple of Tea teas last week. Oh, Tea Tonic, teas. <laughs> it sounds like like I don't know tectonic plates.
1: It's our new anyway. It's our new warm up, voice warm up for shows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. Um, last, last week we tried a couple of their teabag teas that they provided us, but we've also been sent these very interesting little flowering balls. Um, and this one is called, yeah, golden blossom, sorry, golden fortune. It's it's called golden fortune. And in it is just, again, two ingredients, just green tea and marigold blossoms. Mm.
1: So it's, it's one of those balls of like tightly... Bound leaves of tea and, and a marigold blossom that, when you put it in hot water, it will open up into a gorgeous little flower that floats around in the pot. Um, it's kind of a little special moment. Yeah, really. it's a
0: cute little aesthetic. I have to say, it looks it looks very cute and quaint i wouldn't say that it's super practical as an option um, you
1: have to yeah it is it's like a it's a group tea thing yeah. it's like you you're you're
0: making a pot of this yeah, tea yeah you want to make a, a moment of it because it's also going to start to kind of Collapse inside the In the cup or the pot at some point So I've uh, Yeah I've got I've got some errant tea leaves At the bottom of my cup now But that's okay <laughs> It kind of looks
1: like A cute little sea monster or something mm, It does smell good though It smells
0: It smells like mm. Well I mean it smells like Like blossoms tea. <laughs> And and I think the marigold to me Is reminding me of like When you put apricot in tea Yeah it is It does smell quite fruity doesn't it Right let's give it a go Oh. Hmm. Mhm. Hmm. I wish the instructions said hot water, so I used I used boiling, and I wish I'd followed my instinct and gone with slightly cooler water. Right. I wish I'd gone with 80 degrees because I think mine is a little bit burned. Okay. I I did go with 80 degrees and
1: it is nice. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> um and maybe I put maybe it's for less water than I put into my teapot because mm. it's not super strong.
0: Mm. No, it's not.
1: This is nice. I I know that green tea is quite like light obviously, but I don't know. <laughs> This one it's pleasant for sure. It's pleasant. But- I
0: think the thing for me is that nothing is jumping out at me about it. I think mm. I was expecting mm. the marigold to be like a really distinct and dominant flavor, but I'm kind of just getting just green tea. I'm just getting green tea.
1: Yeah,
0: I do I do think the marigold is potentially just decorative to make it look more like a flower. Right. That would make sense. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's a it's a fine green tea. Yeah. And I mean, that's
1: the ingredients: green tea.
0: So- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to be running to the shelves for this one. I think T Tonic have a lot of more interesting options available. Lots of mm. really cool mm. and complex blends that I'm excited to try. This one, it's a it's a solid contender, but I probably wouldn't go out of my way to. Well, I definitely wouldn't go out of my way to buy this. Not when they've got so many other good options. Yeah but the the ceremony of it the the beautiful aesthetic of the of the unfolding flower is is very cute and cool
1: yeah i love that and there's there's many varieties of that sort of thing although usually they are they usually are not you know Blended with a lot of different flavours. They usually are pretty much straight green tea.
0: Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. This one is also from Tea Tonic, and this one is uh, a bit more complex and very exciting. So, we have the Blue Magic Tea. What can you tell us about this one, Hayden? Okay. So, this is a herbal tea. Um,
1: It's butterfly pea, chamomile, rose petals, natural vanilla rose
0: flavour. And it's worth noting that the chamomile and the rose petals are both certified organic. Mm, as his tea sort of mission. Um,
1: so this is a long steep. This is like seven to ten minutes boiling water because it's herbal. Again, as we've mentioned before, herbal teas, you can kind of leave them in and they won't go bad uh, and just sort of get stronger. So, yeah, this smells uh, very interesting. Like. Yeah. yeah. And, of
0: course, for anyone who um, who's ever had a but- uh, butterfly pea tea before... It's it comes out vivid blue, like electric blue, royal blue kind of hues, you know, really really vivid color. Um I'm I'm really excited for this. Should we get should we give it a go? Yes.
1: Oh wow. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like because obviously, like rose water being a dominant flavor in Turkish Delight, mm-hmm. it is sort of like a Turkish Delight tea, which I'm super into. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's really it's very smooth. It's very It doesn't it doesn't have the kind of kick that I would normally expect for a from a complex tea like this, and I mean that in a good way. Mm. Like, you know, you can get lots of minty teas or or, you know, sleepy time teas and they have that kind of well again that sinusy kind of, you know, wake wakes mm, up mm. your your sinuses kind of taste. But this this is just really kind of subtle and smooth and It is very smooth. Uh, and yeah. Okay. This is gonna sound weird. Have you ever had you've had kinoto with me, haven't you? I have. Yeah, okay. So I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It might be the it might be the vanilla rose. I think it's the van- vanilla rose. Something in there is. Yeah, you're right. Reminding me of kinoto, which is weird because kinoto is mostly like considered to be like citrusy, mm. with with all of the you know sarsaparilla kind of style to it. But yeah, yeah, I think it's that vanilla rose. It's it's giving me real kinoto vibes, and I'm a big fan. It is. It's kind of like the aftertaste, except mm. like
1: the aftertaste is like the first taste of Kinoto, whereas <laughs> the aftertaste of Kinoto is bitter. Like, yeah, 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 for sure. Mm. I like this. This is lovely. Mm. I mean, I feel like it's definitely a Michael tea. I can see that. <laughs> uh, um, also, I need to check out the blue because
0: I didn't realize because I maybe Because oh, you a- put in a, yeah. You know, In quite a dark cup, so I just didn't realize that it had a color. <laughs> yeah, pour pour it into a, into a white cup, and you'll see that it's it's electric blue. It's gorgeous. Okay, looks great. Okay, so before we move on to our next tea, we should probably see why this one's called Blue Magic. Exciting, very exciting. So when when you
1: first brew it, it is this very deep sort of bluey. Green, almost grey blue.
0: I don't know. Oh, it's Like oh. deep, deep ocean blue.
1: Yes. And anyone who's had this uh, sort of butterfly pea tea before will know exactly what's about to happen, but spoilers for everyone else. So we're about to squeeze some lemon juice into our cups. You ready? And see, see the magic, which you <laughs> will just have to imagine is happening for you. <laughs> In front of your eyes. Oh, wow. That's really cool.
0: Very
1: cool oh. so Ooh. the juice goes in, and suddenly your tea is like bright
0: purple, stunning, gorgeous, magenta. mine's gone not quite bright, I would say it's lovely, you know what, me too Ah, well there you go i
1: miss <laughs> I misspoke but. Yeah, I mean it's really I've I've had one of these teas in like a glass cup before and that is a special experience because you can just see what the acid of the lemon sort of working on the on the colour.
0: Ooh, look at it. Ooh. Oh, you really taste the lemon in there. And the lemon's really nice with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that. I've noticed that a few of the tea tonic teas have called for lemon for the addition mm. of lemon. And you know what? The
1: flavours are actually very complementary, you know, like when you yes. put the lemon juice in, you're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense with the lemon yeah. juice. Almost yeah. like the It definitely works, working. yeah.
0: All right. Well, I guess that brings us to our last one for the day, which is mm. our Lapsang Souchong. So we're going back to teasau or teas.com.au, the um, ones that provided us with the Gabba Oolong, um, the Gabba. Um, so <laughs> this is from Fuzhan in China. And we were talking about our Lapsang Souchong first episode of our tea travel tales, weren't we?
1: We were because uh, we, we discussed Russian caravan and the sort of mythology of the creation of Russian caravan, which potentially is true. Um, but nowadays when we make Russian caravan, we just mix a bit of Lapsang Souchong into it um, instead of travelling thousands of miles in a Russian caravan. <laughs> so, yeah, it, this tea in particular is as as teas get it's just a full smoked black tea and i have tried it before and it just it just invades your your taste buds everything will taste like smoke
0: <laughs> i'm genuinely frightened of this tea as i was steeping it 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 really did kind of just overpower my kitchen. I couldn't smell any of the other teas. <laughs> I had to separate them because I could tell that my senses were getting, yeah, just, just a little bit compromised. So, and and you only brew it for um, smart two, two minutes. minutes. Yeah. Yeah, a, sm- a very quick two minutes. And, it, you know, it says a teaspoon um, or three grams per cup. So, I went kind of a little bit conservative with my teaspoon. And I'm glad that I did because it's still... It still smells like a smokestack. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah. I'm, I, it, I'm nervous,
1: but but we'll give it a go. I think also it's surprisingly light in colour. The tea, um, not the the actual leaves, but the the water it's produced is like
0: yeah, light. a very and clear, very clear. Mm. It's not um, it's not obscured or what's the word that I'm looking for? Opaque. Yeah. It's not particularly opaque. Um, all right, let's give it a go. Okay. There she is. It's not it's not as hard as I thought it was gonna be to, to drink. It No, but it's exactly what it smells like. <laughs> yes. But not as it's not as in Okay, here we go. It's not as intense on my taste buds as it is on my nose. Hmm mm. Yeah. I guess like I, it is I, sort I can of actually like handle. diluted. Yeah, I mean if mm. you
1: want to drink liquid smoke, then this is it. Like,
0: <laughs> it's funny because I um, oh, Hayden knows I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a whiskey fan as well. It's one of the only one of the only spirits that I know anything about or care anything about. Um, but I'm not a particularly big fan of especially peaty or smoky whiskeys. I like my whiskeys quite quite smooth. Um, and so that was my immediate concern when I when I brewed this. I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to handle this. It's not. Look, it's definitely not for me, but it's ac- but it's actually not bad. I could I could easily finish this cup if I if I were being, you know, if I had to if I were at somebody's place and they made this for me and I were being mm. polite. I could easily get through this. It's not as not as overpowering as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's
1: I mean, it's just like it's it's like you have to decide, <laughs> you know. You don't just drink Lapsang sushong casually, you, <laughs> you decide that you're drinking a cup of lapsang.
0: Um, and so, was this was this the tea that you were saying um, in our in our first Silk Road episode? Was this the one that you were saying would traditionally be made with salt and and goat's milk, yak milk, yak milk?
1: No, that was just black. That was just black tea. Um, this right. is, okay. I think, actually more of a, a more modern tea. Um, I right. I mean we'll have to do an episode about the origins of Lapsang Sushong. but um, yeah, I don't think it's directly related to the Silk Road, but I could be wrong. Right?
0: Okay. This is yeah. I I'm I'm kind of a little bit won over by it. It only because it's much more drinkable than I was expecting it to be. I mean, I just love
1: it because it is such a like talking point. It's such a like fun experience, and it's like. An enjoyable experience.
0: It's not like eating a teaspoon of Vegemite or something, you know. Like that's a ve- that's a very good point. I think you know a lot of people are buying um, are buying like really complex gins and stuff like that purely for the conversation that they'll start. You know, you show up at somebody's house with Shiraz gin or, or elderberry gin or something like that, and it'll create conversation. So yeah, maybe everybody should go out and buy themselves a bag of Lapsang Souchong so that they can. Start a one-hour debate about it. <laughs> but can it. you, um, if you just, like, well, after you've had a taste, if you just start breathing,
1: like, through your mouth, you sort of can understand what I mean about it sort of sticking to your palate. It, you, you can still taste the smoke just through breath. Like,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Something that's really interesting about Lapsang Souchong as well is that it's it's made by smoking the leaf over pine wood specifically. Mm. Um, so the pine is part of what infuses that flavour as well, uh, which is which is really lovely. Right.
1: So this week we have a very cool giveaway. We have two, uh, as usual, two boxes from teas.com.au. They are enormous packages
0: uh, with how many teas are there? Seven teas in each one, and we've got a gorgeous image that you're going to see on our on our socials very soon of this tea taster set. And in this set, you've got one tea from each of their core tea varieties. So there's the Vanilla Delight, which is their black tea, the After Dinner, an oolong tea, the Empress Garden, a green tea, a Mandarin Pu'er tea, the Jasmine Dragon Pearls, which is a white tea, a Ginger Kiss, which is an herbal tea. And a Turkish apple, which is one of their fruit infusion teas. So seven teas in total in this Tea Taster gift set. Yeah. So that's a lot of tea. So you're going to want to get in. Um, In
1: fact, you don't have to really get in this week because we're just going to give these away at random. We're just going to... (laughs) We're going to select randomly from our followers on Instagram and Facebook. Um, So... All you have to do is follow us on one of those platforms. If you follow us on both, you have double the chances of winning. And don't forget to like sort of tell your friends who like tea that
0: they should follow us and go into the draw. It's simple as that. It's a shameless, it's a shameless social media ploy. But, you know, we want to hear from you. We want to, we want to see that you're out there. So make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook. We'll choose at random. And yeah, the more of you and your friends that are following, the more chance one of you is going to get your hands on some sweet, 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 sweet tea. Mm -hmm. And also some maybe not so sweet tea if the Lapsang Souchong is anything to go by. (laughs) Yeah. I am kind of jealous because I don't know if we got we don't i don't know if we have all those teas to try, so we don't we we have some of them and we and we have some other ones as well, but we don't have we don't have those exact tea's, so I'm a little bit jealous yeah. too
1: in particular, I would have loved to be able to try the pool after discuss again in our uh earlier episode.
0: We can't enter the competition ourselves, can we I mean I am following us
1: on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, if those gift boxes go missing, you all know where to find Hayden. <laughs> okay. Um, so, that brings us to the end of our Tea Travel Tales. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to you getting to you next week with some more exciting tea history and culture. But for now, I'm Michael Mandelius. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Michael Mandelius. And I'm Hayden Rogers. You can find me in places as at Hayden Rogers. Make sure you're also following us at Steeping Podcast. If you want to get in touch for any reason, you can email us at steepingpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, if you're a fan of this podcast or any of the other podcasts on the That's Not Canon Productions Network, you can head to patreon.com slash that's not canon and you can show your support there with a frequent donation.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that they would... Very much appreciate it.
0: Have a fantastic week,
1: everybody. We'll catch you soon. T infinity and beyond.
0: I'm slowly warming to it. Slowly. (laughs) You'll get there. While You Were Steeping is a That's Not Canon Productions podcast. For more information, head to that'snotcanon.com, Canon with one N.